It's been said by some that repetition is the best teacher. Um, I can be taught something the first time or the second time, and it may go right over my head. But if it's taught over and over and over again, eventually the truth of a message will become implanted and be strengthened within us and fortified within us. And it's so true about God's word. You know, as we look back to our theme verse, it was uh, John 20, 31. John said, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And this is a book, as we look through the Gospel of John, it's for those who are new and seeking. They may be reading through it the first, the second, or the third time, and all of a sudden, oh, yes, I see, I believe. Some of us may be reading for the 30th time the Gospel of John, and we're seeing things once again, or maybe for the first time, God is bringing to us an insight into his word, and our faith is being strengthened and reinforced as we read through the Gospel of John. And also, I think it should be equipping us to better share our faith with others as we learn more about the Lord Jesus and how he communicated with people. We saw in um, John chapter 1, just by way of recap, that um, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us full of truth and grace, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, we've seen the verification of that he is who he said he is. And we've seen, I like to call it the three W's. We've seen the, the works, the miracles. We've seen seven miracles in the Gospel of John. Uh, the many witnesses to who he is. And also uh, the words that he spoke. There's seven statements of I am in the Gospel of John. And others who made the same statements. Um, John the Baptist, Nathaniel. We look at Peter and Martha declaring that Jesus indeed is the Son of God. And he manifested his glory. He came into this world. God created the world. He came into this world to manifest his glory to angels and to men. And the mission of our Lord Jesus Christ to seek and to save that which was lost. We see in John 3, 16, uh, for those who believe, our response is to believe, repent, believe the gospel, and the reward is peace with God and everlasting life. Last week, we were looking at um, Jesus' statement that I am the resurrection and the life. He is the Lord and the master over life and death. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. And he raised him from the dead. And the people once again were amazed. And in chapters 2 through chapter 12, we see a lot of interaction Jesus had with the people, um, with the Pharisees, the scribes, Samaritans, with his disciples, with just everyday people out there on the street. But there's a transition beginning in verse 13. And in, in, I'm sorry, chapter 13. And in chapter 13 through chapter 17, we see Jesus having a conversation with his disciples on that very last night before he was crucified. And it, it was a, it's a conversation, it's a close intimate conversation with his disciples. And he's preparing them for things to come. And it's a time of training, instruction, along with words of comfort and hope that he's offering his disciples on that last night. 
And he leaves an example to them and washing their feet, saying, I have given you an example. I am serving you, and you are to serve one another. And he, um, he gave them a new commandment, that they should love one another and so prove to be his disciples. And then in uh, chapter 15, we see Jesus declaring that I am the true vine. And in order to accomplish anything worthwhile spiritually in our lives uh, for Christ and for his glory, we need to abide in Christ, um, that we may bear much fruit and so prove to be his disciples. And we talked last week about abiding um, in prayer, the reading of his word in obedience uh, to his will. So today we are looking at the last five chapters or the last six chapters we read this week from the Gospel of John. And we are going to begin looking at some of our questions early on here. Um, John chapter 16, as he's speaking to his disciples, we spoke about him offering words of encouragement and hope. The question here is, in a world full of troubles and trials, what words of encouragement does Jesus offer in verses, we'll look at verses 7 to 11, specifically in uh, verse 7. What words of encouragement and hope was he offering to his disciples here in verse 7? Shirley? Yeah, and in 16, let's see, 16 verse 7. Yeah, if we abide in him, we will bear much fruit. That's true. And how are we going to, what's the, the help we're going to receive uh, in, in bearing that fruit? Barbara? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. He says here, um, it is to your advantage, he says, that I go away. Uh, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So this was to be a great encouragement to them that the um, Holy Spirit would be the one helping them. If we look back, back in uh, chapter 15 for a moment, um, we see here in verse 16 in chapter 15, Jesus says to them, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and your fruit, your fruit should abide. So he's chosen his disciples for a mission to bear much fruit. If we go down to verses 18 through 19, saying to his disciples in chapter 15 here, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And we go down to verse 26 and 27 of chapter 15. He says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And that brings us into uh, chapter 16. And as we look at verse 1, Jesus says, to his disciples, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you 
will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they do not, they have not known the Father nor me. Jesus says, I'm warning you beforehand, it's going to get tough out there. There's going to be persecutions. The world is going to hate you. But I'm telling you this beforehand so you, you won't fall away. If Jesus had never warned them about the trials and troubles to come, when those things came upon them, they would have been tempted to fall away, thinking, Jesus never told us about this. Why are we having all these difficulties and troubles? So he's given them that warning beforehand. But he also says, when you go through those trials and tribulations, I will be with you. And I will send a helper, and he will be within you. In, in the past, the Holy Spirit was with people, but the promise in Pentecost is the Holy Spirit will be in you to guide you, to teach you um, all things that I have said to you in the past. We look here at the, uh, the second part of our question here. We have troubles and trials. What word of encouragement does Jesus offer in verse 33? Uh, the last verse in John chapter 16. Yes, Lisa? Right, he's going to grant that perfect peace in the midst of those trials. Um, and, and I think, you know, specifically, if we look in context here, he's talking about the, the troubles and trials of being persecuted, being hated by others because of our faith. And some receive more serious persecutions than others. But we all go through those times where we're misunderstood or we're looked down upon. And Jesus said, when you go through those difficult times, I am with you. And just, you know, broader too, you know, we go through various trials, like James says, um, that you may become steadfast and strong in your faith. You know, we think of the troubles and trials in this life. We think of our, our homes sometimes falling apart. <laughs> we, we think of jobs and finances. We have a lot of trials there, health is a major one, especially as we get older. Relationships, those are trials too. Jesus is with us in all these things to help us through. And I'm thinking of things that he spoke to his disciples uh, prior to this time uh, that would encourage them through their trials also. When we were looking at John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, Jesus told them, In my Father's house are many rooms, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. We're going to an inheritance that will not fade away. It will not rot or crumble. Um, we are going to be with him forever. That's a great encouragement. And then in John 10, 28, he was talking to his disciples about him being the good shepherd. And he says, I am the good shepherd, and I give you eternal life, and no one shall pluck you out of my hands. The promise of eternal life and the promise of eternal security would be a great encouragement to his disciples when they were going through these troubles, and a great encouragement to us. And the promise of a resurrected body we saw last week in um, John eleven twenty five. He's the resurrection and the life. He um, gets that victory ultimately at the cross, which we'll look at today. He defeated death, he defeated de um, sin, he rose from the grave, and he conquered Satan, death, and sin once and for all. And then in John chapter 15, verses 9 to 11, he speaks about their joy being full 
by abiding in Christ. And let's see, that's in verse 9 of 11 in chapter 15. He says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. We spoke about, you know, Jesus, the written word, the word in flesh coming, and that we may have fullness of life, abundant life, and that includes joy. You know, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So he's telling his disciples all these things. Be encouraged, be strengthened. I'm with you, the Holy Spirit is with you. You'll know joy in believing. In John chapter 17, we look here and John chapter 17 is the Lord's prayer. You know, we think of Matthew chapter six, where Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. But when you look at it, this is really the Lord's prayer here in chapter 17. It says, um, this is the longest recorded prayer in the Bible. And he says here in um, verse three, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus is praying to the Father, and in the first five verses, he's actually um, praying for himself, and he's praying, he's saying, to know God and to know him is eternal life. And as we said before, knowing and believing is not just an intellectual exercise, it's having intimacy with the Lord, it's having a relationship with him. It's um, growing in trust and faith and obedience. So to know God, to truly know him, to know his character, to know who he is, the great God of glory, and to know his son, Jesus. And knowing that, that is eternal life because that's what leads us to that repentance and that faith and that hope that he gives within us. All right, as we look in, um, what are some of the prayer requests in this chapter in John 17. We mentioned in the first five verses, um, Jesus is actually praying for himself. If you ever think it's wrong to pray for yourself, no. I, I think we all do it. We say, Lord, help, you know, strengthen me, guide me. Um, even here, Jesus is given a pattern where he's praying for himself here. Um, what does he pray for in verse one? Yes, Christina. Yes that he would be glorified in the Father, the Father glorified in him. And that's a prayer uh, that he's saying for himself. In uh, verses uh, 11 and 21, what was Jesus praying for in verses 11 and 21 of chapter 17? Any ideas, Claire? Yes, yeah, unity is very, very important. The Father, the Son, us as believers, you know, we're to be one in God and unified. That's very, very important. And if you look in um, verse 6, he says here, I have manifested your name, Jesus speaking to his Father, to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me and they have kept your 
word. We talk about God manifesting himself to his people. And his name has been manifested to his people. And they have been taken out of the world. And interesting here that the words here, yours they were saying, they belong to you, Father, but you gave them to me. It's, it's Christ saying that the Father is giving the church to Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And Jesus being that great groom, you know, we're to be a pure uh, bride for him. And we are the gift of the Father to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they have kept your word, he says, and he has manifested his name to us. Verse 15, what does um, Jesus pray for in uh, verse 15? Yes, yeah, we have an opponent, don't we, in this life? Someone who hates us, hates Christ and hates us, and, and that's Satan. And it goes along with the, the prayer in uh, Matthew, um, Matthew chapter 6, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So uh, he prays, Father, um, keep them from the evil one. It's good to know that Jesus is praying for us to keep us from the one who would seek to destroy us and to kill us. Verse 17, what does uh, verse 17 say? And a little clue is right behind me on the, uh, <laughs> yes, Celia. Yes, and his words are what? Truth, yes. Yep, every word of God is, uh, is true. Sanctify, and sanctify means that we are set apart for service. We are set apart to be a holy people unto God. And it's a process, you know, by the work of the Spirit and by um, the Word of God, He's making us more and more to pe be the people He would have us to be. I also included here, it wasn't up here on the board, but um, I think verse 20 is a, is a great encouragement. In verses 6 through 15, He's praying for His disciples. But if you look in verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Who, who is that? that? That's us. Jesus, in time past, is praying for the future church, those who are not even born yet, and yet he knows us and is praying for us. Um, another great encouragement from God's word. As we go to chapter 18, this is the time leading up to the cross. In reading chapter 18 this week, we see uh, the betrayal of Judas. We see the arrest of the Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. We see one of his disciples, disciples Peter, his denial of the Lord Jesus Christ, and all the other disciples fled. He is, um, he is left alone. Jesus is arrested. And he says here in verse, in chapter 18, verse 11, at the very end of the, the verse there, he says, Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? You know, he, we know looking at the words of Scripture that Jesus uh, drank the full cup of God's wrath for us when we were deserving of his wrath. Jesus took that full cup and drank it for us at the cross. And he has interactions here with Caiaphas. Um, 
he's eventually brought to a pilot. And as he's before Pilate, uh, right before the time of the crucifixion, in verse 38 of chapter 18, Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? What is the ultimate source of truth for a believer? Christina? That that's truth, and we're you know, just the, the bigger overview. Where do we receive that truth from? Surely, the Bible. the Bible, God's word. You know that that's where we look to for um, the truth. You know that Christina just spoke about. You know the truth of God's word leads us. Um, God's word is the ultimate source of truth because these are the words of God. We see here um, the written word of God. I was. Um, listening to a preacher this past week, and he was talking about the word being written, and he was saying that it's God's word frozen for us, meaning that it's, it's written. When you have the written word and it's passed down, once it's written and it's taken good care of and passed down through the generations, that's a word that doesn't change. Um, if you just have the verbal and not the written, I, I don't know if any of you have been like in a classroom where you give someone a message verbally, and they're supposed to pass it along to the next student and to the next student, and you get to the very end, and does that message, is that message the same as from what the first student received? No, um, it's all garbled and confused. But if you gave someone something in writing, okay, here it is, read it and give it to the next person. They can read it. When it gets to the very last person in the class, they're gonna have that, that same written word and have that same truth that the, the first person had. So the written word is very important. And, and of course, John said in that uh, theme verse, these things are written. And we see in other scriptures that all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching and rebuking and correcting that the man of God may be fully equipped for every good work. We know in uh, Psalm 19:7 that the word of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. God's word is perfect, his word is true and it is able to sanctify us. And uh, we are so blessed, all of us, to have a copy of God's word in our possession. Not, not even that, just many copies of God's word in our possessions. And there's so many in the world today who don't even have one Bible, but we are, we are indeed a blessed people. Okay, when he says here, Jesus says, or I'm sorry, Pilate goes to Jesus, what is truth? If someone came to you on the street and said, well, what is truth? You, you say what you're proclaiming is truth. What is truth? In your own words, how would you answer that question? Um, if someone comes to you, what is truth? Anyone think about that this week? John? It never changes. God's word is the truth. And um, yeah. I'm the same today, um, yesterday, today, and forever, and his word is the same. It, it never changes. Someone gave a, a definition of truth, and I, I thought this was interesting. Uh, someone said, it is that which is consistent with the mind, will, character, glory, and being of God. 
And I, I thought that was um, a, a good, concise statement of, of truth. And the Holy Spirit, he brings back to us words of truth. I just want to read to you the work of the Spirit here. Just turning back for a second in um, John chapter 14, verse 26. Jesus speaking um, about the Holy Spirit. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Speaking to his disciples, when Jesus had died, resurrected, ascended into heaven, and they were given the Holy Spirit, at that time, the Holy Spirit would bring to remembrance to his disciples the words of Holy Writ, which Jesus had stated to them. And they were able to um, write down the things that the Spirit brought back to their minds, what Jesus had said. And I'm sure as they were thinking of these things, oh yes, Jesus did say this. That was his teaching. That is what he spoke to us. And they, they wrote down these things and the Holy Spirit assisted them with this. And if you go to um, chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he speaks, whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I thought it was interesting here. He will declare to you things that are to come. And when we think of the, the apostle John, what book did he write about things to come? Revelation. Imagine the insights he received when he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. He received all this insight on things that are to take place in the future. And Jesus says, the spirit will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit will never come with a new teaching that is not consistent with what Jesus said. The Spirit comes to glorify Jesus and declare, to declare the words that he has spoken to us um, in his holy word. All right, we're moving now to chapter 19, which we read this week, the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. And before we get into our, our questions, I just want to read for you here, chapter 19, verse 6, and onward. When the chief priests and officers saw him, seeing the Lord Jesus Christ, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. Pilate knew that Jesus was not guilty of anything. He saw that there was no guilt in him. But the Jews are persistent here. They answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. They were not mistaken about who he claimed to be. They knew he claimed to be God in the flesh. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. Here he is, the governor over Jerusalem, and this man is in fear for the things that are being stated to him at this time. 
Verse 9, he entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. I, I marvel here, um, you know, when you think of the Pharisees, the scribes, we think of the Roman soldiers, we think of Pilate here, when we think of the abuse the Lord Jesus took, being spit upon, being beaten about, he was scourged, he was mocked, and I think to myself, you know, the very tongues that Jesus created are the tongues that are mocking him. The very hands that Jesus created are the hands that are crucifying him. And Pilate, thinking he has authority over Jesus, Jesus could have made Pilate a poor blind beggar in India, but he brought him forth in his sovereign power at this time and place. And Jesus says, you have no, you have no authority. What you have has been given to you. You would have no authority on your own unless it was given to you. You know, just the, the, the majesty and, and um, just Jesus here, I just marvel. You know, without knowing God's sovereign plan, it's almost like an absurd circus here. All this going on around Jesus and the, the accusations and what's going on here. So Jesus, in verse chapter 19, verse 17 and 18, so they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Jesus is there on the cross and Jesus being the son of God, he's still in complete control even when he's there on the cross. Um, in verse, in chapter 19, we're going to look at four prophecies that were fulfilled in this chapter. The first one was a verse 24, and it's a, a prophecy that comes from Psalm 22:18. What was that, uh, that first prophecy that is being fulfilled here while Jesus is uh, going to the cross? Lisa? Right. Yep. And this is uh, fulfilled um, as a prophecy from Psalm 22, 18. Verse uh, 28, what was the, the prophecy that was fulfilled in verse 28 that com uh, comes from Psalm 69, 21? Yes. And for his thirst they gave him sour wine to drink. Yes, and he fulfilled that right then and there on the cross. Verse 36, that comes from Psalm 34, 20. What is the, the prophecy there? <clears throat> right, none of his bones were broken. And finally, verse 37 from Zechariah 12, 10. What is this uh, fourth prophecy that is fulfilled when Jesus is there on the cross? He was pierced. We're going to look at the um, significance of these fulfilled prophecies. I think looking at that first prophecy, 
casting lots for his clothing, the very last thing that Jesus owned was just cast for lots. Um, and this was fulfilled there. And then at the very end, Jesus had been on the cross for six hours between 12 and 3. It was the time of God's great wrath being poured out on him. There was darkness over the entire land, and he was um, declaring at the end of this time, or near the end, he says, I thirst. God fully, God and fully man. Yes, he had a desire for that, that physical thirst that he had while he was there on the cross, which was granted to him with the, the vinegar. But I think also you could say too, I don't think it's too much of a stretch, there was that spiritual thirst. He had been in the first time of all eternity for those three hours, eternity past, eternity future. He was separated from his father whom he loved and his father loved him. And for those three hours, the father turned his back and the wrath of the father was on his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think at the end, end of that time, you know, as is, is the deer pants for water, so pants our, our souls for God. And he, he's panting and thirsting, I believe, once again, they have that restored, renewed relationship with his father that he was missing so much during that time. And then we were looking at on verse 36, it says, not one of his bones is broken. Does anyone know the, the significance of why his bones were not broken um, as we look back to the books of Exodus. Um, anyone think about why his bones were not broken? Yes. Right, they, they, they didn't want them to be hanging on the cross for the, the Sabbath day, so they, they broke the bones of the other two thieves, but when they came to Jesus, they did not break his bones because he was already dead. But back in um, Exodus, I was reading this week, when they were uh, preparing the, uh, the Passover lamb in Exodus 12, 46, they were commanded not to, you shall not break any of the bones of the Passover lamb. So that Passover lamb was not to have any of its bones broken. And of course we know um, John the Baptist says, behold the lamb of God who takes this away the sins of the world. He was the ultimate Passover lamb and none of his bones were to be broken and they were not. And then finally we see in uh, verse 37 that he, um, he was pierced. And that goes back to Isaiah 53 even, he was pierced for our transgressions. Um, and Zechariah says as a, a prophecy that in Jerusalem, when Jesus comes the second time, the people will look upon the, the Lord Jesus and they will mourn because they will see him whom they have pierced. And they will look and they will mourn greatly, uh, knowing, what have we done? This is our Messiah. This is the Christ. This indeed is the Son of God. So he was pierced. He was pierced for our transgressions. So overall, what is the significance of these fulfilled prophecies? Just in a short statement that Jesus did what? Yes, John. Completely fulfilled all the prophecies. Amazing, to a T. Exactly. That the scriptures might be fulfilled, and uh, Christ was in control right up to the end. 
And then we see down in uh, chapter 19, verse 30, I believe it is. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. These are the words of the victor. Jesus was not a helpless victim on the cross. He was there of his father's will, obedient to God's will. And many times on the cross, people were so exhausted they could not lift up their heads. But Jesus lifts up his head. We know what another scripture he says, into your hands um, I commit my spirit. It is finished. Um, his sacrificial work was completed in full. These are the words of the victor. He says loudly, it is finished. And then he gives up his spirit. It's not taken from him. He gives up his spirit at just the right time, at this right place in time and history. And we see here the finished work of Christ. God's wrath is appeased. Um, blood is shed. He is the perfect atonement for sins. And it is finished. And then we look in um, chapter 19, verse 35. John speaking here, He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. Um, our response, believe, you know, believe that Jesus has done the completed work on our behalf. And we need to put our faith and complete trust in him. And no, we don't need to add anything to it, do we? You know, Jesus Christ completed that full atonement on the cross. He never needs to die again. He died once and for all for our sins. Moving ahead to, um, I think we kind of answered the one before that. Let me just see. Yeah, in chapter 21, let's look there. Jesus, after he had died on the cross, God raised him for our justification, the victory over the grave. We see um, the resurrection in chapter 20. And we see here he's appearing before the uh, disciples. And he appears before the disciples, but one of the disciples, and we're not talking about Judas here, there was one other disciple who was missing when Jesus first appeared to them. Who, who was our first disciple? Thomas. He wasn't there the first week. So about seven days later, Jesus reappears. He, he goes through the doors without opening the doors, and he appears before the disciples. And Thomas is there the second time. But before Jesus reappears that second time, He's telling his disciples, unless I see, I will not believe. A pretty dogmatic, clear statement of a, a skeptic, even though Jesus has told them over and over again about what would happen. But he says, Jesus comes to them here and he says to Thomas in his resurrected body, peace be with you. And he says to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Um, put your hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answers, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet 
have believed. Jesus is offering a lot of grace here to Thomas, isn't he? Thomas had been in the presence of Jesus, and yet here he was saying, I will not believe. Jesus could have said, okay, if you're not going to believe, just, you know, we'll stay with the ten disciples. Um, but he's, he says to Thomas, um, he's giving him great grace. And, you know, he says, uh, don't disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas went on to receive the great commission like the other disciples, go into all the world. And I'm reading about Thomas. When I went to uh, Chennai, India a few years ago, I was very surprised to see that supposedly the tomb of the apostle Thomas is in Chennai, India. He had gone to India, according to tradition, to preach the gospel, and he was pierced and killed for his faith. Um, Jesus did not give up on Thomas the skeptic. He gave him that second chance, and Thomas made the most of it. He followed his Lord. And then we see uh, Peter. We know Peter had um, denied Jesus three times before Jesus went to the cross. And we see in chapter 21, verses 15 to 19, Jesus, um, what question does Peter, does Jesus ask Peter three times when he's speaking with him? What were the, the questions? Hutch, do you love me? You know, people have different ways of motivating people. Um, and Jesus is seeking to motivate Peter once again. Um, Peter had denied Jesus three times. And here they're fishing. They come um, to the shore and they see Jesus. And Jesus starts speaking with Peter in private. And he says to him, do you love me? And it was interesting here. He says, when Jesus say, is saying the verb here, um, love, do you love me? It was agapeo, which means, do you love me with a devoted, strong, committed love? And Peter responds by saying, um, well, you know I love you, phileo, which is more of a brotherly love. It's, come, it's almost like saying, Jesus is saying, do you love me with a strong, devoted love? And Jesus, and, and Peter's responding saying, well, you, you know I like you. He, he couldn't say that he loved him with that strong, devoted love. And then Jesus repeats it. And the same thing, do you have a strong, devoted love to me? And Peter says, I can't answer that way. Look, I just denied you. You know I like you, though. And then these three times he says to him, you know, do you love me? And Peter's getting uh, agitated here. He's, he's getting worried. And, but Jesus doesn't give up on Peter. That's the good news. What, what charge does um, Jesus give Peter? He doesn't give up on him. What does he say to Peter in, in the midst of this conversation? Yeah, surely, feed my sheep, tend my sheep. He gave him an assignment. And if you read 1 Peter and 2 Peter, we see that Peter was indeed a good shepherd, a good elder over the flock of God and teaching and, and being a committed follower of Jesus. Peter received the Holy Spirit um, when Jesus ascended. He heard the words of Jesus, that Jesus did not give up on him, but gave him an assignment. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus fulfilled, Peter fulfilled um, what Jesus wanted him to do. And then Peter and John have a conversation, and, and, and Jesus um, 
Jesus says to uh, Peter that, you know, when you're older, you're going to be taken where you don't want to go, um, signifying what kind of death he was to, to have. And Peter says, well, what about John here? What about him? And, uh, you know, and, and Jesus is saying pretty much it's, you know, none of your business. I, I, I'll do with John what I want to do. And he says, but he says, what I want you to do is I want you to follow me. Sometimes we can look at other people's lives and say, well, this person isn't going through as much as I'm going through, or why am I going through this? No matter who we are in life, what we're going through, what our gifts and talents are, Jesus says to us, you follow me. And those are good words to, um, to close with. But I'll also close here in verse um, 24 and 25. John here is saying, this is the disciple who was bearing witness about these things, who has written the, these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did, were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. But we know that these things are written so that we may believe. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful in looking through the Gospel of John. We see your grace in dealing with Thomas and in dealing with Peter, and we see your grace in how you have dealt in our lives, though we are weak, many times failing, and many times even going astray, and yet you do not give up on your own children. And we thank you for uh, the Holy Spirit who is within us, we thank you for the words of truth that guide us. We pray, Heavenly Father, that as we go forward, we would be greatly encouraged to follow you wholeheartedly and to worship you in a way that's well-pleasing to you. As we come before the table of our Lord Jesus Christ, help us to remember all that he went through and to bow in humble adoration and worship before him. Thank you for this time we've had, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.